White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 459. How long have we known each other, Ken? I ever break a promise to you? I will put you in the driver's seat at Le Mans. You just shut your mouth and let me do my thing. All right. Come Morning, Shelby. Morning, Molly. Up yours. I'll go to hell. the 24 hours of Le Mans for the fifth consecutive year. Mr. Ford, Ferrari has a message for you, sir. What did he say? He said Ford makes ugly little cars in ugly factories. And, uh, God, you fat, sir. We're gonna bury Ferrari at Le Mans. So the great Carroll Shelby is gonna build a car to beat Ferrari with a Ford. Correct. And how long did you tell them you needed? Two or three hundred years? Ninety days. <laughs> Ford hates guys like us because we're different. Well, we heard he's difficult. Ken? No, no, Ken's a puppy dog. Oh, there's a problem. The computer will find it. Get some scotch tape and a ball of wool. What are they doing? Making your car faster. Oh, Ken Miles is not a Ford man. We're on the verge of something. And now you tell me that I can't have the best man in the world behind the wheel? Give me one reason why I don't fire everyone starting with you. Well, sir, we're lighter, we're faster. So nice. And that don't work, we're nastier. Go ahead, Carol. Go to war. You got a plan. It's high risk. I thought the whole point was to win the damned race. If this were a beauty pageant, we just lost. Looks hard, everything. Welcome to Open Wheel, the White Rocket Entertainment, Formula One, and IndyCar podcast, where we now also review great and not-so-great racing movies of the present and the past. And here, as always, to join me in talking about racing and movies about racing is our great racing expert and pulp author and all-around awesome dude, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van, and really this is the only racing we've got to talk about at the moment because there is no racing, so we might as well enjoy the movies that are out there. It's true. It's true. I know that there are people that are certainly like me, just absolutely distraught that the NCAA basketball tournament's not going to happen, but but you and I also, we don't get IndyCar and Formula One, which a lot of people don't, you know, we know don't follow, so it's like we're hitting the triple whammy, or, you know, at least 
I am, and you're two of those. You you're going to be missing, and so it's it's really a, a you know the the tragedy of the event aside, which obviously we understand, right? I mean we yeah we understand oh, why. <laughs> it's we're not complaining about that. It's just that it's unfortunate and it's depressing that we don't get to see uh, among our favorite sports, right? That's the the sad thing. Correct, but but at least we can we can sit back and watch the, uh, the the somewhat glamorized versions on the silver screen so i was going to ask you this too have you gotten to see any of the marble racing that's the taking the taking the country by storm no i have not <laughs> you got to okay well that's a big thing was now that is marble, it marble marble racing you said yeah marbles like the little glass balls yeah 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 yeah, yeah. okay yeah it's awesome if you haven't if you folks out there haven't seen it go to uh, Go to YouTube and just search Marbula One, M-A-R-B-U-L-A One, and this guy has built all these different awesome race tracks that are long and curving and have hills and stuff. Some of them go through sand, and he races marbles. And each of the marbles, that's a different color. He has like an entire team with a logo and a name and everything, like it's a Formula One team, and it's it's remarkably compelling considering it's marbles. <laughs> So you have gotten to see it? No, I've just I've never heard of it. I've just uh, just done the, the search on YouTube as you've been talking. This looks like fun. Oh, it's so much so. fun, yeah. Because you, you'd be surprised the rooting interest you can develop for an orange marble versus a green one when, A, uh, they're in hot competition and passing each other. There's a lot more passing. There's a lot more overtaking in marble racing, Alan, than there is in Formula One, I hate to say. Okay. And B, when there's no other actual racing going on, marble racing starts to look really good. It's like when you're on a desert island and an old moldy ham sandwich starts looking really good. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. <laughs> it's delicious. So, yeah. I'm going to have to watch those. No, what, oh, I yeah. did watch the week, what I did watch the weekend was the eSports mm-hmm. race with the Formula One IndyCar sports car drivers and the professional esports drivers uh, doing a virtual race oh. the um, including Max Verstappen, Simon Pagano. Really? Um, yeah. Where was that? It was it's, it was online. It was uh, esports. It was a virtual racing um, oh. if, yeah. So okay. um, is it I on think, YouTube or what? Yeah, hang on a minute. I think if you go look for um, yeah, if you go for go and look for the channel called We We Are the Race, We Are the Race. Okay, on YouTube, and the Race All Stars Esports Battle, Australian F One GP Alternative Event. So. Nice. Well, definitely need alternative events right now, so that's cool. Yeah, okay. it was like three qualifying races and a final. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, the marble racing they actually do. There's a there are YouTube videos for each one each race, one of qualifying, and then two of the race. So you, yeah. I haven't watched the qualifying. I haven't gotten that desperate yet to watch marble qualifying. <laughs> but there's like five or six races up, and they're all really good. So, so you, so Verstappen, Pagano. Was there anybody else that we would uh, know from our two two racing things that we like that would be in there? Um, Colton Herta. Oh, okay. Um, um, Felix Rosenquist. Um, okay. The Montoyas. Um, mm. Yeah, and then a bunch of uh, Le Mans races. Um, yeah, it was um, and. It was so good, good fun. So it's like a video. So what what kind of cars are they driving in the in the thing? Um, single seaters, Formula One single seaters. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. yeah. So, so does it look does it look does it look like a PlayStation Formula One game, or is it more sophisticated than that, or what? It's more more sophisticated than that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna check that out. Um, well, we are gathered here tonight. 
our primary mission is to talk about Ford v. Ferrari, or as those of you on the other side of the pond would call it, Le Mans 66. And I guess that's because Americans really don't have any idea today what Le Mans 66 would mean, right? They wouldn't have any clue. So you have to call it something that we would be able to latch on to, which is like Ford versus somebody and Ferrari. So we're going to talk about that movie, and we're going to break it down a little bit. And Alan's going to kind of go through and explain like reality versus movie story, and that's going to be awesome. Uh, but before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of it... Um, and the actors, which I thought were interesting, too. Um, I, I've got a couple of things I want to ask you about up front about it. The, for the first thing, sure. this, it's billed as Ford versus Ferrari. But honestly, that's not really the competition we're watching in this movie. There is a competition. There is, a, there is an antagonist and a protagonist type relationship. But I would argue to you, and I want your reaction to this, I think that the story had... I mean, I, I, I said, I went I, going into this movie... I thought that Ford would be the good guys, Ferrari would be the bad guys, and I was going to have to manufacture some way to cheer for Ferrari because I really don't like Ford. I had to drive two Ford products when I was a teenager, and I hated them, and I wrecked one of them, and I just can't stand them. Uh, I wish I'd wrecked both of them. And so I was expecting that the movie was going to try to tell me Ford were the good guys, Ferrari, those dirty you know, those dirty European so-and-sos, were the bad guys, and I was going to have to find a way to root for Ferrari. Well, as it turns out, here's how I saw it, and this is what I want your reaction to. I saw it as for, uh, Ford are the bad guys. Ferrari are just kind of there to be something for Ford to compete against, but they're not bad at all. And really, the, the good guy versus bad guy story is Shelby and... Um, Christian Bale's character, what's his name? The rate, the driver, Ken Miles. Miles, yeah, it's really uh, Shelby and Miles against the Ford. I started to say the Ford administration, but not the <laughs> not the Ford administration. No, no, our long national nightmare is not over. I mean, like the Ford Motor Company's executive and their chairman and their owner and all that. That's how I saw it. That the real verses in this movie is our two heroes. And, and Shelby's kind of caught in the middle a little bit. Lee Iacocca, who's an interesting character, was kind of caught in the middle a little bit. And then you have Miles on one extreme and and, Hen and the deuce, Henry Ford II, on the other extreme and his little henchman. And that's the real conflict. So tell me your thoughts about what I just said. I agree. I think the actual Ford versus Ferrari title is actually really misleading because yeah. it's not. It, it's about the Mavericks versus the suits. It's the little mm. guy against the big corporation. It's the... It's the it's the cowboy spirit, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's it's the guys out on the frontier. It's Shelby and Miles out on the frontier being trying to corralled by the, you know, the railroad company or the big company. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. It, it's that sort of American spirit story. Um, so I actually think, you know, Le Mans 66 is actually a much better title for it because that's what it's about, is about mm -hmm. leading up to that historic race. Um, and, and and yes, they played a bit fast and loose with the timeline and stuff, and we'll we'll, we'll get into that as we, we go on. But, uh, but yeah, they're... I actually think Le Mans 66 is a much better title than Ford versus Ferrari. Because um, as you say, Ferrari really, the Ferrari angle is pretty much incidental other than it being the inciting yeah. event that promotes, makes Ford decide that they actually want to go race at that level. So Yeah, they do like one thing in the entire movie. They they get mad and, and do like a double cross or something on Ford trying to do a business deal. 
And and honestly, if I were Mr. Ferrari and I knew I was dealing with, if I knew that crowd that he was dealing with at Ford the way that we do in the movie, I'd have told him to go jump in the lake too. I, I mean, I was I was on Ferrari's side about that too. I didn't think that Ferrari <laughs> did anything wrong in this movie. I was like, by the end of the movie, I'm like, well, I hope Ken Miles wins because he and Shelby are cool. But I want Ferrari to finish second, third, and fourth, and and crash their car into the Ford, you know, little uh, bunker and knock them all out. So, yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting how it it wasn't it wasn't uh, promoted to the public, and so the way that it actually plays out, and so it was something of a misleading thing, as you said, and. I wonder how that affected. I don't know how much money it made or how you know how successful it was. Well, let's see, it made two twenty-five million out of ninety-seven million budget, so it didn't do great. And I would I would argue that I bet a lot of people just weren't interested in seeing a movie that was billed as like two companies building race cars against each other. That because it was a much different. It was a human story. You know, it was much more of a human hey, story. So- yeah, it was very much a human story. And again, I think the Ford versus Ferrari thing did because it, it put people off who thought, oh, you know, it's just going to be for car geeks. Um, and, you know, it, it did downplay the human story. Um, but, you know, it did end up getting nominated for a Best Picture, you know, an Oscar nomination mm. for Best Picture. So um, I, I think a lot of people who would have enjoyed it um, missed out on it. I do know a lot of my friends who did go to see it were really surprised by how much they, they did enjoy it. Um mm. Uh, you know, a lot of folks were asking me afterwards, you know, how realistic was it? And, you know, um, how good, you know, was it from the racing point of view? And, and they were surprised by this. They didn't know the story. They thought it was a great story. Um, you know, w- were these people actually real characters and stuff? So, yeah, no, I think it sparked a lot of interest. Um, but uh, I, I think it was probably misnamed over here. Um, and maybe, uh, and the trailer was also cut in a way that didn't really emphasize the the human story unfortunately so i think it could have got a bigger bigger audience with a slightly different marketing campaign yeah i had to basically drag my wife to see it and i think she liked it as much as i did honestly so uh which sums it up because she would not have been interested in a movie that was just you know a competition of two racing companies that wouldn't have interested her at all so it's actually kind of one of the reasons that i i didn't like it as much as i wanted to i certainly liked it and we'll, we'll expand on that, obviously, as we go along. But I think that one of the reasons I didn't like it as much as I wanted to is because I bought into the promotion. And I thought, oh, man, I, I almost expected something like Formula One Drive to Survive. You right. Know? And it's not. <laughs> it's nothing like that, really. No, not at all. Not at all. Like you say, it really just does focus on the, the Ford effort, the Ford-backed Shelby mm-hmm. effort. Um, yeah. So, uh, which is which is a fascinating story in in and of itself. Um, so, yeah. Now, now I want to see Mercedes versus Ferrari and see a movie about <laughs> about the last few <laughs> years. What's been going on? What's the real story? What's been happening at Maranello, where they've been trying to catch up to Mercedes and they keep falling short? And it's you know they've switched out their team principal and they, you know, and their drivers want to kill each other. I, that's the movie I want to see now. Is like a drive to survive. Ferrari versus Mercedes or something. That would be a lot more fun. But um, all right. So how shall we proceed? I, I kind of laid out my uh, thoughts. I also want to talk about the actors for a second. But do you have any kind of introductory material you want to kind of lay out before we get into well, it a little well, bit? Well, yeah, let's, let's just – you told us about the actors. Let's talk a bit about the two main characters uh, just from a historical point of view because uh-huh. I think they're both quite fascinating characters in, in, in different ways. Um, so – the movie starts in 1962, so let's let's go prior to that. So Carol Shelby 
um, uh, a good old Texan boy. Um, he was really something of the Max Verstappen of his of his age. Um, he started racing uh, in 1952, I believe. Um, and two years later, he was racing in Europe, including at Le Mans. So basically, he went from starting to racing at Le Mans within two years. Wow. Um, and in 59, like the show at the beginning of the movie, he did win uh, Le Mans driving for Aston Martin in 1959. Um, and he also competed in four Formula One Grand Prix that year for Aston as well. Um, so uh, within sort of seven years, he was pretty much you know at the top of his game. And then... As they, they hinted in the movie, yes, he did retire at the end uh, in October 59 at the end of that season because of his uh, his dicky heart. Um, and he'd had a couple of really major accidents during those seven years as well. So, um, But he, w- he was very much the racing phenomenon of, of his time um, in all, uh, and racing in all sorts of categories. Um, and then uh, the main one, Ken Miles. Ken Miles is really pretty much unknown to most but hardcore uh, motorsport history folks up until the time of this movie yes um and uh so he raced uh, he raced bikes prior to the war um world war ii mm-hmm. uh and as they hinted in the movie he was actually a uh, a tank commander he was a staff sergeant um in the tank regiment during the war and landed on the beach at normandy and, and drove his tank to berlin as uh, as, as they say in the movie um so and then after that he raced in a variety of classes in Europe, um, and then moved to California in 1952. Uh, he was a lot more successful than they sort of hint at in the movie. Um, he really was a very strong, successful SCCA uh, national racer. 61, he was the SCCA road race champion. Um, 61, he even drove a Formula One Lotus at the 1961 United States Grand Prix. Um, so he, was, he, he wasn't quite the journeyman almost there that sort of implied in the movie he was actually really successful um but actually and had as they sort of hint at the movie a reputation for one not being quite so easy to get on with but two for being a better engineer as as much as he was a a great driver he he was better known as an engineer and somebody who sorted cars out and apparently that's how he saw himself saw himself he, he saw himself as a mechanic who drove as a hobby even though he drove at the highest level um so um so just a bit of background on both of those two guys. They, you know, they, they, were, they were both really successful in different areas um, and sort of came together in that sort of Southern California road racing environment in the sort of 50s and 60s. Didn't you get the sense from the movie that Shelby was going to drop dead at any moment with his, giant, with his bottle of pills he's swallowing constantly and all? And, you know, he ended up yeah. living to about 90. <laughs> so he did fine. He did, but apparently, yeah, but apparently became addicted. I mean, he, he basically ended up with addicted to those nitroglycerin tablets or whatever oh, that he gosh. was so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, he was swallowing a bunch of them there every time he was taking them, so I'm not surprised. But So what did you think about the two actors? I, I thought they really – I thought that, that Matt Damon as Shelby was just very likable. I just I, – I, I enjoyed his performance and his character all the way through the movie. Yeah, I did too. I thought they were both really well cast. They played mm-hmm. him really well. Um, I'm glad sh- – Damon – didn't go for the caricature Texan. I mean, no. you know, he, he played the Texan, but he, it, it was sort of subtle. I mean, obviously, apart from the 10-gallon hat and stuff, but, <laughs> um, you know, he, he, he played it, sort of downplayed it a bit. I mean, Shelby was also meant to be quite difficult to get on with, um, which doesn't really come over in the movie, but... Uh, um, just yeah, a little bit, you know, just th- a little bit, I think, yeah. A little bit on and off, but yeah, I think he, he played it He played it really well, Um and I, I think Christian Bale played Ken Miles great. Um, he apparently Miles had a fairly 
thick, pronounced Birmingham, yeah. which is Middle England accent, which Bale sort of tuned down so it wasn't incomprehensible to the American <laughs> audience. Um, it's funny. If you're from the other Birmingham, you're hard to understand, too, because I'm from 35 miles south of there. <laughs> right. So, uh, but uh, I think... Again, there's you know there's not too much footage in that around of Ken Miles, so uh, you know I, I don't know what was sort of true to Ken Miles and what was was mm-hmm. uh, made up for the movie. I don't know whether the talking to himself and talking to the car was stuff made up for the movie or real. I do know some people who do that, um, so you know it, it was fun. I think he played it well. He he played the uh, the family man well um, and, and the engineer engineering part there's as i said there's some historical stuff we'll get into um that wasn't quite right but uh, generally I, I i thought they were two both very sympathetic characters and well played and actually you know we're talking about the uh, the guys who played the uh, you know the ford entourage hmm. uh, particularly the three main ford you know henry the ford henry ford the second i thought i can't remember the name of the actor who played that right i thought that was played beautifully yeah uh and the guy who played Lee Iacocca was was interesting. Oh um, yeah, Bernthal. Yeah, he's uh, yeah he was yeah. because I usually don't like him in anything he does. Although what he the Pun- I think he was the Punisher, and I, I didn't. He was watch the Punisher. That. He played the Punisher really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was in Walking Dead, but but um, yeah, but I, uh, then, I I really enjoyed him in this though. I, I when it when it was revealed he was Lee Iacocca, I had no idea Lee Iacocca had anything to do with this story. And when he's he was Lee Iacocca, I'm sitting there in the theater. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's Lee Iacocca. That's because I just know him from you know being older with Chrysler, right? So, uh, and Dodge and everything else. Yeah, yeah. No, he was a he, yeah, and he was. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit as as we go on as to where he was within within Ford at the time. And then uh, Leo, baby, uh, who they, I think they overplayed as the villain. As the yeah, villain. yeah. If if, uh, if there was anybody that was a cartoon, it was him. Yeah, um, and I, and I know quite a few folks have sort of pushed back and said, "Yeah, that's a poor representation yeah. of, of, of the guy." So, well, but, movies uh, movies always have to take that one character and turn him into you know a little worse than they were. And every, everybody in real life is kind of mostly shade. Not everybody, but most people are kind of shades of gray. Right. And, and in a movie, you got to make somebody the black hat. I, w- I wanted to say really quickly while we were talking about them, I that's, you mentioned the uh, Ken Miles talking to himself and talking to the car. Whether yeah. that's whether that's real or not, I thought it was a very effective way to convey car and racing information to the audience without when when there's one person in a car. I mean, you know, it wasn't like Formula One where you can have the radio transmission and explain everything. So he was yeah. able to, he was able to kind of clue us into some things by talking to himself or talking to the car that we would otherwise wouldn't have had any way to know. Yeah, no, it was a good way of de- delivering what otherwise would have been exposition. And it actually also covered up the fact that probably most of the time when folks are in the car concentrating like that, they're pretty quiet anyway. They're yeah. quiet. So it would have just been pictures of a guy in a car going down a, the street. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But by having the dialogue, it sort of filled that space and told a story at the same time. So, Absolutely. yeah, I thought it was – whether it was real or not, it, it was it was – it was good, and it was good that they set it up early and they kept it going through throughout. I thought that was that was good. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, got to talk about Katrina Balfi. Is that how, I don't know how you pronounce her name. I know it's Kat- Katrina. It's it looks oh, like uh, it looks like K I Triona, but it's Katrina. It's, she's the lady from Outlander that we love. Uh, my wife and I are devoted followers of Outlander, and it was interesting to see her because she's such a dominating presence on that show. That's really her show, along with Jamie. That it was interesting to see her in this. As, as I mean, it, the part 
you know, when I thought back to the movie after seeing it the first time in the theater, I thought, well, she was barely in it. But going back and watching it again, the last, I watched it on video yesterday and today, and she's actually in more of it than I remembered, and I thought does a pretty decent job. She's nowhere near as memorable in this character as she is on Outlander, but, but I thought it was just neat to have a, a person who's kind of a rising star in that role. Kind of, uh, It certainly made my wife more willing to go to see it than she would have been otherwise. I, th- I think she. Uh, I think the character was a little underused and underwritten, um, yeah. but I thought she played it very well. And yeah, I know when we were watching it the other night, and um, she did the whole thing in in the car, um, and you know, and while they were having the argument in the car, and, and Jill t- Jill turned around to me and she's like, "I like her." So um, <laughs> yeah, she got so, she uh, got two moments in the movie really to 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 express. Yeah something yeah. of an individual character. She had the, the moment where she comes into the garage and, and kisses him, and she's talking about liking the smell of oil and all that. That was a distinctive right. thing. And then the, the scene in the car where she's driving the car around like crazy. Every other time, she kind of had to just be the housewife. The oh, mom. I know. I also like the, like the fact that when the two of them were having the, uh, the fisticuffs and, uh, uh, in the yard. She just walked out in the yard. She just walked out with a chair, put it down, and uh, sat back and watched them. I thought that was uh, yeah. I, I think that I think we got just enough glimpses of her to realize she was a more interesting character than you'd first think. But you just never really got enough opportunities to 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 I guess you know to expand on that. And I mean, I guess yeah. It, it, you know, they, that would go too far down the rabbit hole from what they were the story they were trying to tell. But she was she was just intriguing enough that I wanted to know more about her, and we just weren't. Going to get it. I mean, you know, at the very end of the movie, and again, not to, we're going to work away there, but at the very end, when we see her at the end, and 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 uh, Shelby doesn't talk to her, and they just kind of wave at each other. I was disappointed a little bit because while I understand why it ended that way, I I needed to know where she was emotionally and mentally at this point, and I really wanted to know that, and we didn't really get to find it out, so that was kind of disappointing. We didn't, and we'll we'll talk. I have a problem with the end of the movie, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about that when we get there. So, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. All right. So, where do we want to start? Well, I, I, we, yeah, I liked all the actors, so we'll get into the movie a little bit. So, you had us going back to before the movie started with what was happening with those characters, with those people yep. in real life. And so, are we are we accurate in that they they came together the way the movie showed that that Ford wanted to go out and beat Ferrari at their own game and and kind of approach Shelby to do it? Sort of. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So let 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 me run th- let me run through the first part of the timeline. Okay. okay. So the movie. So the Henry before Henry Ford the second that they needed a sports car in the lineup. That there was such a presentation. Um, and that was, but it was more. It was it was more about the fact they needed a sports car, not that they needed to go racing. Racing was sort of the sideline. It was we need a sports car in the lineup because we're losing out to the other the other companies. Was this before so was Mustang? My, sorry. Was this before Mustang? Yeah. Well, the, the Mustang comes out of it. Oh, okay. So, so this is where they started. They messed with the, the timeline a bit in the movie. Okay. So that pres- that presentation was in 1962. Okay. All right. Um. And they, they talk about Lee Iacoa being uh, just a marketing guy. At that point, he wasn't actually a marketing guy. He had he was actually the head of the Ford division of the Ford Motor Company. So Lee Iacocca was actually the head of Ford at that point. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, and he was the one who came up with the idea of the Mustang. So in 62, after that meeting, is when the first Mustang concept car was built. The first Mustang concept car was actually a two-seater mid-engined 
sports car. Oh, wow. um, interesting side note, just going on to uh, showing how they got sort of timelines mixed up and stuff. So during that presentation, do you remember one of the slides that he that they put up about <laughs> that no. relates to our to our other podcast? Would that be the degenerate? <laughs> yeah, the degenerate. Ah. The, Yes, indeed. That was the famous uh, Aston Martin shot, wasn't it? With Sean Connery. Yeah, with Sean Connery from Goldfinger, and then he followed it up when the slide bro- slide projector broke. It was a shot from Thunderball. Oh, okay, but that was in '62. But that m- meeting was in 1962. Right. So both of those movies hadn't come out yet. No, Goldfinger was '64, and Thunderball '65. That's right. And of <laughs> course, then there's the whole thing about Bond doesn't drive a Ford, but as you and I know. They yes. actually used the Bond movies to promote the Mustang and a whole bunch of other Ford things over the following 20, 30, 40 years. So, I, yeah. yeah, I thought that too. I thought, well, he certainly has way more Fords in the, in the Bond movies than I would want. But I was thinking maybe they're talking about before that, you know, that when they're having this meeting, yeah. they're like, you know. But it is funny that yeah. he that, that Henry Ford had such a negative reaction to James Bond. And then, yeah, he ends up being like their major sponsor. So that's crazy. Yeah. So, so it it was a fun it was a fun line and stuff. I don't know whether it was actually you know because um, in '62, I'm not sure they would have said James Bond doesn't drive a Ford because he was I don't know didn't have, <laughs> he wasn't associated with a particular car at that point. So I like that so when anyway, he when he calls him a degenerate, that one guy goes, "I want to be a degenerate." <laughs> yeah, I want to be a degenerate like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So '62, the first Mustang concept car is built. Also in '62, Carroll Shelby forms. Um, Shelby American to build his Cobra sports cars, mm-hmm. uh, which is the car that you see Ken Miles racing and that you see in the background all the time that they're constantly selling or selling two or three times over to the different people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I couldn't figure that out, but okay. Yeah. So that's in, in the early, early days, that's, um, and that's, they started to race those cars and that's what Ferrari actually saw as their primary competition was the V8 um, Shelby Cobras to start with. Um, um, okay. And then, so the whole thing about and uh, Ferrari is going out of business, that was true. Um, so Ford did try to buy Ferrari. This was in 19, the following year, 1963. Um, Ford did try to buy Ferrari, uh, and it did fail over the race, the clause around the racing um, ownership of the, the racing team and mm-hmm. who had the final say. Um, yeah. So um, they got very close to buying Ferrari, but then, um, so apparently the, the um, and it failed over over the fact that they really didn't recognise how important racing was to Ferrari, mm-hmm. um, particularly to Enzo Ferrari. And apparently, the uh, the quote about um, ugly little cars in ugly big buildings um, is accurate. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, was it true about Fiat though that they just kind of used them to get a better deal? With- well, I was going to say actually no, because Fiat, Fiat did buy Ferrari, but not until 1969, so six oh, years later. Okay, not, so not like the same day as as sort of yeah. intimated in a yeah. In '69, they bought 50 percent of Ferrari, and then after Ferrari died, they became the uh, Enzo Ferrari died. They in 1988, they actually bought the rest of the company. So, um, hmm. so yeah, the whole. The whole thing of the the guy on the Lamborghini running up to to Fiat and stuff, um, yeah, they they're, they're pulling timelines together there. So yeah, I I was wondering about that because it that just seemed all way too convenient for a story. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so after the negotiations failed, Ford basically did say that they wanted to build a car to go beat Ferrari and 
Ferrari, I mean, he was insulted and it was mm -hmm. like, well, if racing's that important to Ferrari, we're going to go show them, we're going to go beat them. Um, mm -hmm. So in 63, they, came, they actually did a deal with British uh, race car manufacturer Lola um, for a mid-engine Ford-powered uh, car that raced at Le Mans in 63. Um, and it did okay, but it was, didn't set the world on fire. Um, and then in 63, later in that year, the combined Lola and Ford team moved to new facilities in the UK and became Ford Advanced Vehicles and started work on what became the GT40. So the, the movie sort of implies that Shelby designed the GT40. It does. And that it and it was his idea, mm -hmm. not the case. It was designed by the British, the British uh, uh, team, uh, mm -hmm. the the Ford Advanced Vehicles team in in the UK. And when he says, you know, this is the one fresh off the plane from England, mm -hmm. that's the original prototype. For it wasn't actually called the GT40 at that point; it was just called the Ford GT. That was the original one, but it was designed and engineered originally by the guys in the UK. Um, and then they started tearing it apart and, <laughs> and putting well, tape all over so, it and. <laughs> Ripping things that, out again, jump, jumping ahead a bit, yeah. So, um, and then so the, the other thing is 63 that's in the movie that is true is about Ken Miles's uh garage getting repossessed by the IRS. Um, that's actually true, that happened in early 63. Um, and then Ken Miles joined Shelby as the test driver for the AC Cobra race program. So, he didn't the movie sort of showed that you know the the uh, the prototype. Ford GT turned up and he persuaded Ken Miles to come join him as a test driver mm -hmm. to sort out the GT40. He was already working at, for uh, Shelby and um, uh, he and Shelby were already working together on the AC uh, Shelby Cobra race, race program. Um, they weren't actually involved in the GT40 at that point. Um, so it's uh, again, I mean, it made good, good things in the movie, but they, they pulled it together. So um, yeah, all right, and then in March 64, the Mustang, which was conceived by Lee Iacocca, not Leo Beebe as in the movie, because in the movie, during the Mustang launch, Beebe says, I'm responsible for getting this car to market. Mm. It was actually Lee, I the Mustang was Lee Iacocca's baby, uh, and it was his car and his program. So, um, And it was launched at the New York World's Fair, not in some airfield in california somewhere so yeah that seemed odd to me too i was like where are they and why did they didn't make it very clear what was going on there so um, interesting though that, that several a couple of years later when shell when the shelby mustang became a thing when shelby actually started to do tuned mustangs then the gt350 they launched that at an event which shelby and iacoa and other executives did fly in and in a plane and do a speech and stuff like that um, Shelby didn't actually fly the plane, so <laughs> this sort of great. again. That was so great, though. Yeah, yeah. but that Shelby was... apparently was a B twenty nine pilot, so yeah. uh, that part's true. But he didn't actually do the the stunt flying with the Ford executives on. That's too so. bad. That was one of my favorite moments in the movie. Is when I, I think that two of my favorite m moments is when either is two of my favorite moments are when Shelby freaks the other person or people out in the vehicle he's in charge of. You know, there's one with the airplane, mm -hmm. and there's one with the car with Henry Ford the second on board. And that's like the highlight of the movie. That that's just the funniest moment. So, uh, yeah, I, that's I think that's more reason why I really enjoyed Matt Damon and and the character of, of Shelby that he that he did as opposed to the real one is because they did a lot of fun things with him. He was really kind of the fun part of this movie. You'd you'd think the driver would be the fun part of the movie, 
Um, but it was actually the Shelby character that was the one that was into all the hijinks and keeping us entertained through, you know, stealing the stopwatch, you know. And I mean, yeah, he got yeah. to do all the fun stuff in this movie. This was like a Matt Damon getting to getting to do all kind of crazy capers movie, which I enjoyed. It was, yeah. And it, he, as you said, he was sort of the the, the light comedy relief, but yeah, it, it, but not in a sort of nudge nudge wink wink no. hallway. You know, it was it was yeah. So. Um, uh, where did he do? So yeah, sixty-four. Um, so sixty-four is also when the first Ford GT was actually launched in uh, in April and raced at Nurburgring, um, hmm. and basically had a completely dismal season. And it was at the end of sixty-four that they handed the race prep program over to Shelby. So um, they didn't walk into his shop and say, "Here's a blank check to go design us a car and build it in ninety days." That was all Hollywood. <laughs> oh, it's so good so the, though. <laughs> But, so the program was already going, was running out of England, uh, but the car was having problems. Um, so, yeah, at the end of 64, because Shelby was doing so well with his own programs, um, which used Ford engines, as they, they um, hinted at, um, that they handed the, uh, the race prep and the redesign um, of the car over to, uh, to Shelby America, which is pretty much where the movie really starts to take off. Um, for me, yeah. um, and it was some of the feedback that Jill had, she was getting confused by a lot of the timelines because they were connected concatenating that's not easy for me to say um, <laughs> a lot of these timelines are, are mushing them together and she was she was getting confused about well if they said this and then how did that work because they were pushing stuff together it didn't really make logical sense mm-hmm. um until to the point where we actually get them um starting to actually work on on you know work on the car uh, the gt40 is there and they actually start to work on it and race it and stuff and i think that's when the movie really st- uh, comes into its own. I know they had to do a lot of the early stuff to set up the characters and you know set up the motivation and stuff. But I, I think um, they caused some problems by doing by trying to push too too much detail of things that happened over a two three year period and make it look like it happened all within a couple of months. Um, yeah, it, I was going to say it's I, a, it's it's a remarkably long movie considering what they actually cover in it. It doesn't. I mean, you know, it doesn't cover. It's not some grand epic covering a world war or something. It's a fairly contained, smallish story, and yet it's two and a half hours if it's a minute. It's a long movie. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you say you know the Ken Miles getting his his store uh, repossessed by the IRS to the to the Le Mans win, that's three years. So yeah, they're they're yeah. sort of packing a lot into you know it's it's a lot, but it's also as you said, it's over a, a short period of time, and it's a fairly lengthy movie, and, and the, the majority of it, it, it is, is the racing action, which is great. Um, you know, obviously love that. So. I was actually startled. I was, you know, I watched in the theater. You don't know how much is left in the movie. You know how long it's going to go. You're just watching it, right? But watching it again today, I had it on my iPad, and I could just tap the screen to see where we were in the you know in the little line between the beginning and the end. And when they went to Le Mans to do the big the big race, you know, the one that was the yeah, big yeah. chunk of the movie, there was still forty five minutes left to go in the movie. Yeah. So it was like an hour and forty five minutes of everything leading up to that, and then forty five minutes of that race and then and then the little bit at the end after it. So that was a big part of the movie. Yeah, it it certainly was. So mm-hmm. all right. Um so 64, they hand it stuff over to Shelby. 65, um, the first Shelby GT40 wins at Daytona 
24 hours with Ken Miles driving, um, yep. which is not not the one that you see in the movie. It was actually the year before. Um, and then he was second at Sebring, um, but then they had a really pretty bad year for the rest of 60, 64 um, and 65. Now, in the movie, they make this whole thing about um, the 1965 Le Mans where the, you don't see the race, but the cars go to France and they have gearbox issues, which Miles predicted, and they have a really, you know, they, they get trounced. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have the scene of, of Ken Miles in, in the... Uh, in the hangar, working on the car, listening to the race, etc. Total crock. Actually, Ken Miles did actually race in the, that whole thing about Leo Baby say, BB saying Ken Miles can't race. That that was invented for the movie because Ken Miles did actually race for the GT40 team at Le Mans in '65 when they had all the problems. So um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because I, I I remember I looked it up and I saw that he 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 was he did not finish because of gearbox problems and it kind of i kind of went well wait a minute i thought he wasn't even there so they basically they just they really did play pretty fast and loose it's one of those things that's based on actual events as opposed to the real story right the true story yeah 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 it's one of those things where they play it's either based on or inspired by i can't remember which one this one is but yeah 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 Yeah. so (laughs) fictionalized Um, from yeah (laughs) But uh, at 65, and again, what they don't talk about is the fact that even though Shelby was doing the design and prep, he wasn't actually running the race team at that point. It was actually managed by a British uh, race um, manager called John Wire. It was Shelby's boss, uh, Aston Martin. Um, So after the 65 fiasco, Wire was basically canned and replaced by Shelby to run um, the, the team. The interesting thing is, actually, it was John Wire who got into the arguments with Ford management over micromanaging it wasn't shelby so a lot of the things that they showed shelby having to deal with was actually what his predecessor john wire had to deal with um hmm. so um, interesting so they, again they, they they took some of that some of that historical stuff and gave it to the shelby character even though it was actually the previous team manager who'd been dealing with that so it's more conflict right uh, you always want you always yeah. want conflict around your main characters yeah. so that's good so um, this is where they start to do the, the thing you were just talking about. So they start ripping the car apart, redesigning the GT40 with Shelby mm-hmm. and Ken Miles into what becomes the GT40 Mark II, um, which is where they put the bigger seven-liter engine in it. Yeah. Um, so a cu- <laughs> couple of interesting things. They were the first. They were the first race team to actually do dyno testing of the engine. So when they they did that thing of them again, they showed it earlier happening like a year earlier than it actually did. Um, but when they were in the dyno booth and they were running the engine in the dyno booth and they were talking about, can we shoehorn this bigger engine into the GT40? Um, they, they were the first race team to actually do that, to actually simulate. And they actually, um, apparently, uh, they'd taken cine film at 65 Le Mans um, and then used that to simulate two, the, uh, 48 hours of Le Mans, of Le Mans mm. on, the, on the dyno bed. And run the engine basically for forty-eight hours, simulating every gear change and everything. Um, so that that was pretty cool. They they really downplay it in the movie, and it's a shame because they were really the first people to do that. Um, and the whole thing with them ripping the computer out and putting uh, wool tufts on to do the aerodynamics because no wind tunnels back then—that's actually also true. Um, <laughs> Good. Oh, that makes me happy. Good because that was cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, they they found an extra seventy horsepower by doing that from the way the air intakes were uh, mm-hmm. misaligned. Yeah. Here, here's so. the impression I, a layman, 
uh, got from it was, and you tell me how wrong it is, um, the impression that it, that the movie created in me, just following what the movie was trying to get across, was they needed a bigger engine to get more power, so they got a bigger engine and they were testing it by itself, sitting there on the, I guess, you know, like you said, basically the equivalent of a, a dyno thing, whatever. Um, yeah. and, and then they were like, well, how can we get this in the car? And then I guess they did... And then it became a, a matter of, again, this is the way the movie presented this to me. It became a matter of now we've got to get the aerodynamics of the vehicle itself right, containing yep. this big engine. Correct, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And make it lighter because obviously a bigger mm -hmm. engine is, is heavier, so they had to mm -hmm. reduce weight elsewhere and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, they the, did the whole thing about the height of the car. The reason it became known as the GT40 was because it had to be exactly 40 inches high. Um, so um, they sort of touched on that. So, more, and we get into more some of the more technical stuff when they, we actually get to the racing scenes because there's some appallingly technical technical stuff there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I noticed this is also this must be the era that the Speed Racer cartoon car comes from because that's what it looked like to me. <laughs> I, it I, may I, be. I never really five. I guess, yeah. I just, I've never seen, I never watched. Obviously, I was too little. I hadn't even been born yet, you know. So I didn't see racing when the cars looked like that. I came into racing in like the mid late seventies, really, when I was a kid, and so I never saw cars that looked like that. So when I would see like the Speed Racer cartoon car, I was like, "Why does it look like that?" I assumed that was what they used to look like, but this is the first time I actually saw something where it was those cars. I'm like, "Oh, okay, that's kind of cool." They actually did look like that. Okay. I don't think it looks like the Mac Five at all, but um, huh. but I, I sort of I, th I think I, I get what you mean though in terms of, of that low level and the the, the shape and the aerodynamics and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so that brings us to so yeah, you mentioned earlier the whole thing about Matt Damon taking Henry Ford for a ride that yes. apparently never happened. <laughs> oh never. man, that, that's that's too bad. That's unfortunate because it was so great. Yeah, and Shelby never did bet the whole company on Ken Miles. Winning at Daytona. Yeah, that would be, that seemed a little excessive to me that he would, yeah. I mean, because you, you could have a failure of one part, like he said, and there goes your company. That seems a little, little yeah. much. I, I, my understanding is, I think he did make a, a thing about, you know, if we win at Daytona, then I get to manage the Le Mans, the Le Mans program or, you know, I get, yeah. but there was some way, you know, something around it that if we win, X happens and if we don't, Y happens. Yeah. Um, but it was but it wasn't betting the whole company on on one particular driver winning at Daytona. Um, that makes sense. So we, we we get some pretty good footage of the uh, twenty four hours of uh, of Daytona in sixty six and the race stuff. Um, did you enjoy the racing of the, the Daytona sequence? Yeah, it was. I mean, that was basically just a big track, wasn't it? That wasn't like all through the countryside, if I remember correctly. No, no, Daytona is the the oval. Well, it's part of the oval plus a, a road circuit on the infield. So they race on the race oh. on the banking, then they come down off the banking, um, and then do uh, like a road course on the infield at Daytona, and then back up onto the banking for twenty four hours. Kind of like the way Indianapolis is laid out for the Grand Prix. Yeah, a bit like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So the Daytona 24 has got a, a long and storied history. Um, so this was actually, I think, the third time Ken Miles had raced there. Um, hmm. But um, uh, I think he raced there in 55, 65, and 66, and one in 66. The thing that got me here, and uh, this is just from the, the driving point of view, is 
all, all racing movies do it. And I know why they do it, but basically when the hero car has to, has to get extra speed, they'll change down and find an extra gear. You're not <laughs> going to change down doing 200 miles an hour on the banking at Daytona. Cause if you do, you're just going to blow your engine. Um, <laughs> You know, and all of a sudden they've found, got an extra two or three inches of uh, throttle pedal movement under the right foot that they can press and go zooming past the cars, other cars. Again, not going to happen. You're on those tracks. You're flat out. I mean, you're literally flat out. Um, so um, it's it, it's you gain, you don't gain speed by changing down a gear and mashing the throttle pedal, uh, racing at that level. You gain speed by outbreaking and having better lines and carrying speed and it's all about carrying your speed and momentum it's not about multiple gear changes and mashing the throttle so um, it, it makes for good movie it makes a visual point that the, the guy's going for it um, technically it's complete nonsense um, so um, both so I think there was a little little too too many uh, shots of uh, dancing feet and gear changes to <laughs> make it believable for racing enthusiasts like myself. right no i have but for me it's to show me well i'm a racing enthusiast but i don't know the technical aspects of it nearly as well as you do so it just gave me a sense that there he's doing something to cause himself to win you know what i mean he, he has yeah, to exactly. do something or else what's the point so yeah 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 just, just taking you know a, a better break through a corner is not necessarily visually exciting having a guy actually waggle a stick and mash some pedals um and you know watch a tachometer zoom around is is a lot more visually compelling so um (laughs) it's complete nonsense complete nonsense but it it makes sense for the for the for the movie audience it's like that great bit where when the when his wife when trina balfi is driving the car and he's he's like (laughs) they're on the one hand having an argument on the other hand having a life you know a death-defying drive and on the third racing commentary, <laughs> it worked on three yeah. different levels, and I and yeah, I yeah. and I loved that he says something like, "You're not even going to lift on this corner, are you?" And she's like, "I like a clean racing." Line. Nice, yeah. <laughs> that was so great. That was so great because, it, again, it just shows you that she knows what she you know she knows the sport. She knows what she's talking about. She's a, you know, yeah. she's a pretty smart cookie and not just a housewife that doesn't understand what he does or anything. I really I really like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, and the whole seven thousand revs thing. Yes. Again, complete nonsense. Oh, <laughs> Shattering all my illusions. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they would have had rev limits and stuff. There's nothing magical about seven thousand. I mean, it depends on the engine. I mean, you listen to F1 and they talk about different rev rev counts for different engines at different points in the circuit and stuff. There's there's no magic rev limit that counts for all <laughs> engines that gives you that magic moment. Um, so um, yeah, that's. I thought that seven yeah. seven thousand RPMs would allow them to make the jump to light speed. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> it seems to give that impression, didn't it? It, so. it makes the uh, it makes their uh, oh man, I can't think of what the thing on the DeLorean. It makes that kick in, right? When oh get, yeah, the uh, flux capacitor. Flex, yeah. It makes the flux capacitor kick in, or or for those really obscure of you out there, it makes the oscillation overthruster kick in. Ah, where did I get that one from, okay. Alan? You got me on that one. Oh, you don't know the oscillator. Bring this the os- the oh the <laughs> the overthruster. I am Doctor Emilio Lizardo. That's uh, from Buckaroo Banzai. Okay, I think I've seen that movie once. So. Oh man, it's, we're gonna do a show on it soon. So it's so good. <laughs> okay. It's so good. Well, so uh, let's see. So we're so we're- yeah. So so just to give you an ex- example of uh, so a, a, a modern F1 engine revs around 15,000. Cool. So, 
Lord, yeah. Lord of mercy. Okay. Um, or, well, they're usually limited to around 15,000. I mean, it's, at one point, they were revving up around 19,000. So, um, yeah. So there's there's nothing magic around the, about the 7,000. I will say what, what was good, uh, and I did explain, and I think this was earlier on with uh, Christian Bale's character when he took his son out for the drive mm-hmm. out on the uh, runway, and he was talking about racing lines and getting the perfect lap. Um, and I think Shelby talks about it in terms of the mythical 7,000 RPM too, is at some point that, and I've heard this from racing drivers and when I was lucky enough to work on Nigel Mansell's, the F1 and IndyCar champion, work on his autobiography, heard it from him too, that there's a certain point where everything does become quiet and it's just you and the machine and that time does slow down. Um, and it, I think Christian Bale said it, you know, you don't, you don't look narrower as, the, as you go faster, you actually start to look look wider and time slows down and um you know i've heard that from people asking about you know what makes a really great racing driver is the fact that they can slow time down and multi-process so many things that are happening um, yeah. you know you think uh, as, as you know the the, the the sort of the driving becomes almost a, a instinct mm-hmm. um but they're, they're actually processing what the car's doing what other people are doing positions on the you know people people in the grandstands, what's on the TV monitors, you know, they're just, they're getting all this input that gives, you know, where everybody else is on the racetrack, they can process all this stuff while still driving at like 200 miles an hour. Um, And that's what sort of really makes them special. Were you the one that told me the story about Senna and the barrier, the barrier Uh, that he hit and he said it moved? Okay, maybe it wasn't you. I, there's a, oh yes, yes I did when it okay. was Detroit, Detroit Grand Prix. Yes, said that it, he yeah. hit the barrier, and they're like, you know, what made you hit it? And he says, it, it's it's in a different place, and they measured it. and It was like what a millimeter, two millimeters different. Yeah, probably half an inch out or something like that. Yeah, and he yeah. he had it, he was that close to it that he knew where it was, and so when it moved that little amount, it messed him up because he was that yeah. just a preternatural sense of the world around you. And I, when you say it slows down, I mean, you know, what you're really saying is you can process all these different things in an instant. And like you say, instinctively, you know, all that sensory input from so many different sources, and it has to slow down for you to be able to, to get all of them in. You know, most of us, I, so, I can't do two things at the same time. So, my gosh. So the way Nigel Mansell explained it to me, Mm. Um, dropping a Formula One name. From a <laughs> yes, you are one. quite a large one. Uh, <laughs> um, is when you're out as a kid and you're riding your bicycle. Okay, if you look straight down at the wheel as it's going around, it's and it's spinning really fast. It looks like the road's going by at a really high speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you look right down at you know over your handlebars and look down at the wheel, you can see the road going by at a really fast pace. Yes. And, and then as you start to look up that starts to slow down. And when you're looking at the horizon, it, it looks like the road's hardly moving at all because you're gently cycling along. Yeah, right. And he was like, well, take that concept and extrapolate it out to now doing like 200 miles an hour and keeping looking in the distance. Mm. And, you know, because a good racing driver is not looking at the corner. He's about to go around. He's like two or three corners ahead. Um, so mm. it's sort of that concept of, continuing to broaden your broaden the scope of what you're looking at far beyond what most people can do and can assimilate but but it, it's that progression if you like of um that's the way he explained it to me yeah. which i sort of i sort of get i think i understand what he was trying to get it has to be that way because 
there's just no way a human being can react that fast if they're not already mentally processing the next thing while their body is automatically doing this thing. You just you just yeah, couldn't I mean, you that, couldn't do it. You couldn't do it otherwise. That's usually why when when things do go wrong, they go wrong so quickly is because yeah. they're not actually reacting to what the car is doing. They're actually mm-hmm. a good driver can react to what a car is about to do yeah. and actually correct it before it happens. So when something does happen that they don't catch it, it's usually pretty quick and violent and because you know it it, yeah. it does catch them unawares. That's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So uh we got off slightly Slightly on a different tangent there, but nice. uh, no, I, I thought it was it was it was interesting. So, yes. um, sorry, you were going to say something? No, I just agree with you. I thought it was interesting. Okay, okay. Um, so we got Miles winning at Daytona um, ahead of the the Holman Moody team. Um, I love the fact, uh, and it was true that uh, Ford brought in a second team and did give them a NASCAR pit team to try and beat the Shelby team. <laughs> so that was true. Um, That's uh, wow. That was true. Yeah, yeah, that was true. Yeah. Um, so they really didn't like Shelby and Miles, even though they were they brought them in and were paying them. They didn't want them to win. That, I, I don't think it was that they didn't want them to win. They just basically wanted to make sure that they had the best, ensure that they had the best. And Shelby was a maverick, and they want you know they wanted it, uh, the home um, the the NASCAR team that was running the other G40 were their team. It, it was the Ford's work team in NASCAR, so they were they were the corporate race team. Yeah, if you like. Um, Homer Moody team. Um, so you know, it was like we got we got these Mavericks over here who've built the car and really know it, but we've also got our Ford races. Let's give them the car and see how they do. Um, so yeah, I I think it, 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 I I don't think it was that they didn't want Shelby to win. It was more about covering all the bases. It, well, the movie is just very vague about this. It's one thing that was annoying to me um, is that the movie sets up that they go to Shelby like hat in hand, you know, oh, please, Jedi Master, show us how right. to win. And then he goes to Miles and says, you know, uh, you're, you're the man that can do this. And then Ford's reaction is, well, we don't like the cut of his jib. So even though you're on the payroll and we're paying you to do this, we're going to like all but sabotage you. And it just, it, it seemed like they had to work. It seemed like Shelby and Miles had to work way too hard at just doing the job they were hired to do because like you know like we were saying at the beginning because it wasn't really Ferrari they were having to compete against most of the time it was the it was their own company that was that had hired them to do the job that they were having it's just weird it's like if generally when you get hired to do a job the employer does everything they can to help you do that job they don't like try to sandbag you and make you not able <laughs> You know, it's like they immediately had buyer's remorse and were trying to get out of a contract the whole rest of the movie. It was just odd. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there was fr- there was friction there, but they, they, they played it up, obviously, for the, yeah. the, for the movie way more than it was. And Ken Miles used to, to actually say, because, you know, sometimes he would be a bit outspoken, and he would say to reporters, you know, be careful what you write, don't write that, because these guys pay my salary and they've been really good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know... Um, he was aware he was basically a Ford employee, um, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know played you know made sure he knew that they'd helped him you know get back on his feet and paid him a good salary and got him a position and you know got him into a race winning car. So you know he wasn't a you know total Ford company man, but he was um, you know aware of the fact that he was effectively a, a 
a Ford employee through Shelby. So, And also the GT40, again, they don't really talk about it in the movie, was designed to be a customer car right pretty much from the beginning. They were selling the GT40s to other race teams. It wasn't just that they just had the Shelby team. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, if you actually watch, watch on the movie, you'll see there's actually quite a lot of GT40s on track. Oh, yeah. That's uh, interesting. Uh, at various points, but uh, yeah, mm. so it was was designed to be you know a, a customer car pretty much, and I, I think at that stage at Le Mans you had to make a certain number and sell them for the car to be homologated and be, um, and you also had to make a road going version. So, yep, that is interesting. Okay, uh, um, so that takes us to Le Mans in '66, um, the last forty five minutes of the movie. Here we go. Just, uh, That's right. Yeah, um, let's do it. Some great. Some great racing scenes. Um, so the whole um, Le Mans start was uh, where we see the drivers lined up on the other side of the road and running to the car. That <laughs> was, was what ask, they used to do. I was going to ask you about that. I was going to say, A, when did they stop doing that? And B, why did they ever think that was a good idea? These guys aren't triathletes or biathletes. They're, they're drivers. So why are they having to I- exhibit their great, sprinting skills across a parking lot that just that um, struck me as odd yeah so the Le Mans start um ended in 1969 um hmm. Hmm. and that was down to a driver called Jackie X um who basically in 1969 sauntered across the track rather than ran <laughs> um got in his car because when they got in his car took the time to do up his seat belts um and so was last away by quite a margin and then went on and won the race. So basically proved that there was actually no advantage. The Le Mans start, they're running across and getting off as quickly as possible, had no impact on the race at all. Um, so that that was, um, but how long it's been, it went on for before that, I, I think it's... Um, That's great. It's all. It was always part of Le Mans. Um, it was known as the Le Mans start. They're running across and jumping into the car and driving off. Um, yeah. And I'm just trying. To, I'm just trying to do a very quick. It's bit a of thing. Research it's definitely a thing. It yeah. Started. The Le Mans yeah. style start used for many years in various types of motor racing. Yeah. And it is. 1923 was the first time. Wow. It was yeah. Well, it, it it makes sense particularly if it was like a Grand Prix. I could see where that every second counts. But in a 24-hour race, and, and let's be honest, you know, the, in, in this race, I don't know if it's this way in real life, but in this race, when they come in for a pit stop, it was a relatively leisurely affair. They, just yeah. would, they would just drive in and get out of the car and people come out. And it, it, there wasn't any of this three-second woo-woo and they're gone. You know, it was like have a ham sandwich, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was quite remarkable to me how slow and leisurely they, they actually took the, um, the pit stops. So. Well, they still are. I mean, because, I mean, Le Mans today is pretty much a 24-hour sprint race, and they do do fast pit stops. But if something major goes wrong, yeah, they'll roll the car into the garage and, you know, spend the time uh, doing the work. Um, I, I actually got it wrong. It was 1970 when Jackie X made his, uh, his protest walk. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> protest walk. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, yeah, so it was 1923 to, to, to then. So, so the, the thing about uh, Miles getting in and the door not working, that was accurate. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. The, problem with the door. Using the rubber he, hammer the, on it? Yeah, well, part of the reason it was bent was actually he, he, he bashed it on his helmet um, <laughs> getting in and <laughs> bent the door slightly so it wouldn't close. Um, 
Uh, and he did he did almost there was a collision right in front of him as he was leaving and stuff so that that was all pretty accurate they uh, the actual ebb and flow of the race that they showed was was pretty accurate to to what was actually happening during that race Mm. um but again you know we got the the multiple gear changes you know it's like the fast and furious where you know cars seem to have a hundred 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 gears in the gearbox because they're constantly changing gear um and you know and did, did you know you wouldn't really get the the the, the time for two cars, cars going along the Mulsanne straight for the drivers to be staring beady eyes at each other and give, uh, as, as they <laughs> along as they as they were with the Ferraris and um, and the, the thing that really bugged me about this and again I know it was for the movie audience racing cars don't have speedos don't have um, things that tell you you're doing 220 or 210 mile an hour down the Mulsanne straight um, race cars do not have speedometers they have rev counters and that's it. Um, so uh, seriously the fact yeah yeah race cars don't have speedometers um i did not know that (laughs) you don't need to know what speed you're doing all you need to know is what gear you're in and what revs you're doing i guess you don't need to know yeah you don't need to know the speed so huh yeah never in a million years that's funny in f1 you in f1 you get the speed but you get it from the speed traps on the side of the circuit and the telemetry it's not they don't show it on the dash i gotta tell you um, something alan i have never known what they're talking about when they say speed trap i always assume in formula one when they talk about the speed trap that there's some like local sheriff waiting to pull them over <laughs> yeah. that's what i you always you pepper, i figured you pepper behind heineken yeah he goes, all right boy <laughs> where you, where's the fight son <laughs> that's what i always thought was going to happen so interesting yeah so um so you know th- those things aside i think they they did it i mean they, they did the whole the whole thing with um ford folks being the first ones to figure out that they could change the whole brake assembly instead yeah. of rebuilding the brakes and get a faster bit stop from that that's all true um so um, <laughs> i love when he confronted the rule book guy that's a cool i mean yeah the little interpersonal things and the comeuppances are really kind of the main part of this movie that's the most enjoyable is like you know when he's like i read your book <laughs> and throws it down yeah. at him and then behind him yeah. ken miles is making that face you know like mm-hmm, what do you think about that you know so yeah that was the kind of stuff that i enjoyed the most in this movie i think is is the the few moments where where the good guys would actually win, you know, they, it seemed like, and that, that's something I was going to say uh, as we go along here is that as much as I did enjoy so much of this movie, I'll go ahead and state it now while I'm thinking about it. I, the one thing that kind of let me down about this movie is that all the big moments in it end sadly. There's, there's never like a big win. There's never a triumph that doesn't have some either dark cloud around it or it turns sour immediately after. And I'm just like, man, you know, I'm like, I, I, I just, I just want them to, to usually in movies like this, it ends with the main character standing up, cheering and everybody's applauding him or her. And there's a big celebration. And it seems like in every key moment of this movie, something bad happens rather than something good. And I mean, I think in some ways that actually made it more palatable like you say, it was nominated for Academy Awards and stuff because that's kind of like Rocky losing Rocky. You know, in the, in the let me compare it. In the first Rocky movie, if Rocky had beaten Apollo and it ended with him celebrating, it would not have been nominated for an Academy Award, much less one. What made that first Rocky movie what it became 
was that the hero lost, but had to learn lessons anyway from it, you know, from, and, and then comes back in the popular sequel and, of course, wins, and that movie didn't get nominated for anything, as far as I know. So this movie was more like Rocky One, where lessons are learned, but the good guys don't really win. Instead, bad stuff keeps happening to them. So I guess I'm wanting Ford versus Ferrari 2, where, where <laughs> Shelby recruits another driver, and they just kick Ford's butt and they kick Ferrari's butt and I know that's a fantasy but that's you know what I'm saying though it's like this movie just had so many downer moments it yeah. made it, made it mean, more of a profound drama than a sports action victory movie and I get that but that just that wasn't what I was expecting you know I was again the, the trailer had me thinking it was going to be a 12 round heavyweight battle with a big win and instead I got you know, this character drama, which was fine, but with a whole lot of losing. So, nah. Well, uh, yeah, which is all true. And uh, it is what made the drama is the fact that it wasn't the uh, rah-rah, yeah. you know, we win the championship at the end, you know, we are the champions, etc. It, it, You know. Right. It, it is the very dramatic, true story, uh, you know, about what actually happened. So, mm. you know, I said, obviously, they've played around with Fast and Loose with a little bit of the history, but the basics are really, you know, true to, to what actually happened. Um, you know, and the if you like, the only real moment of victory is that victory at Daytona, um, which... That's right. ...doesn't... Really doesn't get emphasized. It's oh, okay, we won. On to the next thing. Yeah, um, it was kind of a means to a next. Yeah, it was just sort of a stair step. Yeah. It wasn't an end. It was a means, not yeah. an end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Le Mans stuff was I, I, I thought was really well done. Um, Enzo Ferrari was not at Le Mans in '66, so again, that was uh, actually having Enzo Ferrari there watching it was. was but that's the time he pretty much stopped going to races. Um, oh, but he had so. to be there, though, right? It is like you, you couldn't not yeah. have him there. Yeah, and I did like the bit at the end where he actually sort of touched his hat to, to Ken Miles and stuff. I thought that was pretty. That cool. was yeah. one of the more. That was one of the classiest scenes of the movie. That was one that I really appreciated when he did that. I was like, yeah, that yeah. at least. Yeah, if it basically, and again, it reaffirmed what I was saying, which is that Ferrari were not remotely the bad guys. They were kind of the antagonist no. of the story, but they weren't the bad guys because the Ford people did Ken Miles wrong up to the very end, and it was the Ferrari guy that actually respected him and saluted him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. In fact, I think Ferrari, by the time we got to the actual Le Mans race, Ferrari were a bit of the comic relief. I mean, with the, with the, yeah. pit, all the stuff happening in the pit stops. And, Absolutely. Um, there's no record of Ken, uh, Shelby stealing their stopwatches, but that was that was pretty <laughs> cool. pretty good. That was great. I did li- I, I did like that when he's Philly's engineer said, "Oh, nice stopwatch." He's like, "Do you want one? They're Italian." I thought yeah, that was Italian. Cool. <laughs> that was um, great. Yeah, yeah, Every- and I liked the thing where he, where he took the, uh, the the wheel lug nut and rolled it into the Ferrari pit to make them all panic that they'd left the uh, lug nut off. <laughs> See again, the- Shelby got all the fun moments in this movie. It's so funny. Yeah. You- yeah, yeah, he did. So that, that was that was fun. So um, I will say, actually, just sort of sidetracking it again a bit. I, I I think they actually did a really because clearly they did not film they did not film this at Le Mans, um, but they did a really good job of dressing up the racetracks where they did film it um, to look like bits of the Le Mans circuit. Um, it's it did a lot better job than a lot of other racing movies do about creating. Tr- what it's like at a classic track um they did a really good job of creating the start finish straight at le mans and uh, just giving the feeling of being there um 
at some point, I presume we'll probably actually watch the Steve McQueen film Le Mans, which actually was filmed at Le Mans. Um, oh, okay. While this, but uh, and you can tell the difference. But uh, but I actually think they did a really good job here with with actually staging the racing scenes and staging the tracks uh, and the events. Uh, I thought they did a really good job. And again, most of it was done with actual cars and practical effects and. A little bit of CGI, mainly for sort of filling in the crowds and the backgrounds, but but not too much, you know. Um, even when they were had cars flipping, they were doing it with cannons and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, you know, I think they they did a really good really good job uh, with the practical side of, of staging the races racing scenes in this movie, uh, and it it felt uh, it felt pretty visceral to be in there. Um, you know, it felt like you were in some instances like you were riding alongside. Ken Miles, so I thought that was really good. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. The technical stuff, it, it's, it's cool. We've watched two movies now. We've watched uh, Grand Prix with James Garner and then this one, and I thought that both of them uh, did did exceptionally well with giving the audience a sense of what it's like, you know, dry, being in that car and riding in that car. I, th- I thought they both were really good at yeah. that. Yeah, cool. Um, and you just touched on the, on, the, on the finish, so do we want to talk about the finish? Yeah, yeah. Of the race, the finish of the race. Um, so this mm-hmm. is like I, I read the thinking said the Le Mans sixty six fin- finish story is like is like the Kennedy assassination. There are more stories than there are witnesses. <laughs> That's good. Uh, nobody really knows what happened. Um, so what was presented in the movie is one view. Right. Um, so um, Leo Baby. I, was, I read. I read a different account. I read a slightly different account. So I know at least two of them now. You probably know more than that. So. Yeah, I've read several, but okay. So what seems to be the consensus, and Leo Beebe said it later, that he was the one who asked for a photo finish that the cars should line up. If they could get the top three Fords to cross the line together, that would be great. Mm-hmm. They'd get their photograph. Ken Miles was in the lead. Now, it depends which, how far in the lead he was is open to interpretation. Okay. Um, I've heard some that he was like a lap and a half ahead, others that he was not that far ahead. That One of the things that they were worried about was the fact that if they let them race, they'd take each other off, um, which mm. is not unheard of. Uh, yeah. In you know, It uh, still happens in motorsport today. Uh, it's, you know, we don't, uh, except for the Ferrari drivers, um, you know, we don't <laughs> want you taking it. <laughs> Ferrari F1 drivers, we don't want you taking each other off. Um, so it's not un- unknown for team orders to say, hey, guys, calm it down, you know, right. stay where you are. Um, and then, so they came around. I'm actually look. I'm sat here looking at the photograph, the actual photograph of the '66. Is there finish. a grassy knoll? <laughs> there is no grassy knoll. Um, but if you actually look at the fi- the photo, it was not like the movie. The three cars were not lined up like they are in the movie. Um, so it was actually two cars, and then the third one was a couple of car lengths behind. So you had the number one car, which was Ken Miles' car, mm-hmm. the number two car, which was the Bruce McLaren car, and then the number five car, which was in the movie was actually alongside them, but actually in real life was like a couple of car lengths behind. Um, so all three Fords are in the shop, but they're not lined up like uh, across the track. Um, and depending on the angle, it sort of looks like McLaren's car is slightly ahead um, as they cross the line, or maybe they're just about right there's some things that actually ken miles actually backed off to let mclaren go ahead because he was pissed off because he'd been told to slow down um others are that they did cross the line in exactly together um but that 
there were two interpretations on, and this is going to sound stupid, but there are two different interpretations on when the 24-hour of Le Mans finishes. Because oh. there's one interpretation that it's a 24-hour race, so it finishes at 4 p.m. on the Sunday afternoon. Right. Irrespective of where the lead car is. So if you took it that the finish of the race was 4 p.m., right. then Ken Miles was definitely in the lead. Oh, okay. If you take it that it's crossing the finish line, first cars to crush the finish line after 4 p.m., uh-huh. then br- and you're measuring the distance covered in the 24 hours plus seconds, then Bruce McLaren actually went further because he started further back. That was the Yeah, that's the story I've heard, and that's kind of what was argued in the movie. And that's what's argued in the movie. And it's also said that basically when BB said that we want to do this photo finish, the organizers were like, well, fine, mm-hmm. that's good. He, di- he, didn't do- he didn't want it to impact Ken Miles. He was not trying to rob Ken Miles of the, of the win. And then it was like... Later, the organizers changed their mind and said, "Oh no, it's not 24 hours; it's the distance covered." That's and that's not what Ford, not what Ford wanted, or not what BB wanted. Uh, yeah, that was the story I got too. I'm glad you said that. Is that, yeah, he, he that they 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 said that the organizers agreed, and then after it was over, they then reneged on their deal, on their you know their 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 understanding. You know, in other words, their agreement that that's how it was going to be. And it was and it was too late then, and so they they changed their mind, and that just screwed up Ken Miles. Yeah, so that's yeah, but it wasn't weird. Ford that screwed Ken Miles. It was the the race. Yeah, the race it, people. It was the race. All yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So how so, about that? Yeah, but if you actually you can you can find the photo the photos um, on the if you just Google Le Mans sixty six finish photo, you can you can see it for yourself. So it's. Uh, I will say it is a pretty cool photo of the two Fords and then the third one sort of behind them. But, uh, All right, so let's yeah. do it. Let's see. What are we looking for? We're looking for 1966. 66. Photo finish. Photo. All right, let's see. Drum roll. What are we going to get? We're going to get... I'm going to decide. Oh, yeah, the third car is way back. And, yeah, it's kind of... It looks like the number two car is ahead in this picture, but, of course, we don't know... And like but you it's said, at an angle. Yeah, it's at an angle. And again, like you said, we don't know. Are they counting when the when the time ran out or the finish line? What What's the point of having a finish line if it doesn't even matter? Because what matters is what time you. Uh, it becomes the well, cannonball these, run then. Yeah, these days it is the twenty four hours plus the finish line. So it, it's really clear uh, and the distance covered. Okay. So, yeah, but. Uh, Oh, by the way, we're, we're going to have to add Cannonball Run to our list of race movies to cover. You realize that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. I, 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 will, I will not object to that at all. So. <laughs> all right. Very good. Um, okay. So, all right. So, we get the end. And well, he, as, you, as, you see, as you see from the photo, it's not like in the movie. In the movie, No, all, no. They were three abreast. They were three abreast Which completely. I, I don't I don't. Photograph is such a historical artifact about this whole story. Why they couldn't stage it in the movie exactly as it is here? Well, I mean, I guess it's because the way that they were presenting it to us story-wise was he wanted to have all three Fords come across the finish line together, and they just took that literally to mean together. That kind of surprised me, too, because I kept thinking, if I'm Ken Miles... I'll slow down and let them catch up with me, and we'll kind we'll we'll cross the finish line, kind of together. 
but there isn't there there's for you know darn sure i'm gonna be well ahead of the other two if i did that i'm not gonna drift back so far you know i'm gonna be like okay guys and then stomp it and i'm gonna take off i'm not gonna let there be any doubt so i guess he just he didn't he didn't think it was gonna be an issue or like you said he may have uh planned it that way yeah yeah so like you say i i just don't I don't think it would have taken. I don't think it would have taken anything away from the movie to actually stage the finish as it actually was, rather than yeah, it, them doing a literal thing. But uh, so, all right. Well, they changed so everything then, else, so they might as well change that too. It, I yeah, guess. I guess so. I guess so. So we get to sixty. So we get to post Lamont. Mm. Uh, Ken Miles is going to go off and have his mug of tea and his cheese bat. I loved that <laughs> line, by the way. <laughs> um, that's a cheese sandwich, by the way. Okay. Um, okay. Good. <laughs> um, so, uh, and then they, they they talk about you know well let's go build the next car. So we mm. then get them out in the desert. Um, so interesting. And he's uh, testing the. Uh, and so he has this whole as they're walking away at Le Mans. He's talking about this whole thing. Maybe we can use a honeycomb chassis and blah blah blah. They'd actually already done that. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd started that program before Le Mans, mm-hmm. and there'd actually already been a fatal crash during testing of that car prior to Lamont. I read about uh, that. Yeah, that this it was it, it was interesting to me that the the does the honeycomb design was actually supposed to alleviate that problem and instead it seemed to have made it worse. Right. And actually the guy who was killed driving it, it was the guy he beat at Daytona. It was Walt Han- Hanskin. Oh, uh, wow. The guy in the green car at Daytona was was actually killed testing the J car as they called it. Yeah. Um, prior to Lamar, prior to Lamar. Yeah, what I had read was that that was the reason that Ford quit using older drivers for testing because Ken Miles was like 47 when he had his accident. And the guy that died before him was also in his 40s. And so when you had two drivers in the same car in their 40s, both killed, Ford decided to go with younger drivers. I would I would argue that maybe it had a little more to do with the car than the age of the two drivers, coincidentally. But, but, um, but that was the conclusion they came to. I've not heard the older driver theory um, at all. I must admit, I've not not come across that. It's interesting. So, um, so yeah. So we get the we get the testing accident. Um, they give the impression in the movie that Ken Miles died because he was trapped in the car, which is actually the exact opposite of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, the car actually broke up and he was thrown out. Thrown out, um, uh, and died died of his injuries that because of that. So. Um, so my, my problem with the ending of the movie is I actually think they should have ended the movie on the shot of his battered hat with the sun shining through it mm. and just faded it out there. I don't think they needed to do anything post the accident. I think they should have just left it with Ken Miles' accident, just that evocative shot of the hat. I thought it was a really great shot of his hat with the, the smoke and stuff in the background. That told us everything we needed to know. I think they should have just. That's where the story ended for me. Yeah, I think that's I, where they should have ended the movie. So all we get after that is Shelby driving over to the house, right, and talking to the little boy. Well, we got the whole six months later where Phil Remington has to come in and say, "Hey, come on, it's been six months. You've got to get back." To yeah, the go sell a car. Pull yourself together. Go sell a car. Blah blah blah. Yeah, um, go be. I, go be. I thought that was all totally unnecessary. Yeah. Well, I think that what they were trying to do was give us some sense of what did his death do to Shelby? What did it do to his family? What did it do to his little boy? Right. And we, we got the Shelby part. We got the little boy part. But I just got no sense at all of how his wife, I mean, she comes out and says something. She's calling him and says something to him and 
waves, you know, kind of reluctantly waves at Shelby. So at least we know she doesn't hate him or blame him, apparently. But he doesn't want to go talk to her because he's like, there's sometimes, you know, that words don't really accomplish anything. And I, I got that. I just felt like if the point of dragging the movie on past the moment you just described was to give us closure on the characters, I wish they'd given us closure on, on, on all of them and not just on two of them, I guess, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm not even really felt sure that we got closure on his son. It was all very much around Shelby, and I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, for me, it just felt that they just tried to go too far with that. I think it, it, it was Ken Miles' story. I think the one thing that this movie has really done is, uh, and deservedly so, is brought Ken Miles' story into more into the limelight of what yeah. he achieved uh, and his successes and the imp- impact that he had in the this early days of, of, of uh, the Ford GT program and Le Mans racing and sports car racing in general. Um, uh, you know, like I said, he's a, a character who's generally been pretty much overlooked even by uh, a lot of racing fans. And I think this story has d- d- deservedly given him the recognition that he's long deserved. Um, and to me, it was it, this movie w- was really Ken Miles' story and I think they should have ended it at that point well i think but, but you but you put your finger on i think the issue which is i'm not sure the movie had decided whose story it really was it was trying to be ken miles's story but danged if it didn't want to keep being the shelby story also you know and it, it, they really they they felt like if that was the case i think they felt like they had to go back and and give you a little bit more of him in the aftermath of it and what what miles's death had done to him and so you know, it's certainly arguable whether or not that was a wise move, but that's certainly what I think they were trying to do, or you wouldn't have gotten two whole scenes of Shelby after Miles is dead. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So, not the way I would have ended it, but right. I'm not a movie director. I'm so. I'm very very fifty fifty on it because I totally see what you're saying, and I totally think that that works. But on the other hand, I feel like. I feel like because of they because they did make the movie a bigger story than just Miles, they kind of were under some sort of an obligation to give us a little bit more of everybody else after that. But but whether or not that made it a better movie is again is an open question. So what about my question then that all the moments in this movie are kind of downers for the most part? Do you think that makes it better or worse or is that a thing or am I crazy or what? No, I, I think you're right, but I think it's just a consequence of the fact that that's the story. That's what actually okay. happened. Um, um, yeah. I actually think it does make it better because it does make it stand out from the gazillion and one other rah-rah sports stories where, you know, the underdog becomes the champion. And Yeah. You know, so um, That's fair. You know, I, I guess um, that's fair. I, I just, I think, again, and it's kind of funny because we just recently talked about Spectre, the James Bond movie, and I was saying how a lot of my perceptions of that movie were colored by and negatively influenced by the expectations that the trailer built up for me. And I think in some ways, like we were saying at the beginning, this movie has a similar issue, which is that it was built up in my head through the trailers and the ads and everything as this triumphant victory of American Ford over those dirty Italians, quote-unquote. I don't believe that. I'm just, you know, I'm saying that's how the movie presented yeah, yeah. it. And, and so... When it wasn't anything like that, and in fact was a bunch of downer notes, I, I was kind of, I again, I, intellectually I can appreciate it, but emotionally I was disappointed. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wanted I, I, that's not what I that's not what I was promised. In other words, whether it's better or worse in, in in an artistic sense or whatever else, it's not the movie I felt I had been promised, and that fact 
disappointed me. So, yeah. Right, and actually, if you if you want the actual big Ford victory against Ferrari was the following year, '67, where again it was the you know one two three finish. They completely dominated, and it wasn't as you know they they were mega successful in '67, '68, '69. Um, so, and then they the the rules changed, which basically made the GT40 obsolete. Um, ah, okay. But uh, so it sort of set the stage for that big victory, but that big victory wasn't shown as part of the movie. So again, I think it's part of. I think the, the story of Le Mans in '66 is a really interesting story. The lead up to it, you know, the, the mm-hmm. failure in '65, the winning in '66, the botched finish, the Ken Miles angle. Le Mans 66, like we said at the beginning, makes a lot more sense as a title for this movie. The the marketing Ford versus Ferrari is a complete misnomer. And I yeah. I think, yeah, I think you and probably a lot of other people were like, hang on a minute. This, <laughs> this isn't quite what I was expecting, but when I think about it, it's actually a really good human drama. Yeah. Uh, you know, That's right. With some really, really cool racing footage around it. So, And I think it did open a lot of people's mind. Uh, from what I've read, it's opened a lot of people's eyes to, you know, um, Sports car racing that's as uh, or that they never really thought about, you know. As, oh sure, as, yeah, me for sure. I just yeah, it's not something I'd ever uh, I'd ever had any interest in or known anything about. So definitely, I'm uh, I'm intrigued by it for sure. So all right, so let's give our final, I guess, as we usually do, our final verdict on it. Um, you, I mean, we've summed it up pretty well, I think. But uh, you want to give it like a letter grade, maybe like between an A plus and an F? How did you see it? Um. I think I'd probably give it a A minus to a B plus to A minus. I think it, I think it's it just ranking it or thinking about it within the other um, classic motor racing movies. I, I don't think it's it, it's. I think Grand Prix is still the absolute pinnacle of racing movies. Um, but this mm. was a good try. I think it came. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it's better than most of them. Uh, not quite there at the pinnacle. So I'd say maybe an A minus, maybe a B plus. So. Okay. I'm going to say that if you know that range is a good idea. I'm going to go B to B minus just because I think it was good enough to get in the B range. Like you say it wasn't an A movie, but it was really up there pretty good. But I'm drifting toward the B minus just because I like I said partially it's the fault of the trailer that it just for whatever it was, it wasn't what I was waiting all year to see. I spent months telling, you know, I was posting on Facebook and Twitter, the movie poster and saying, Oh, I can't wait. Here it comes. Here it comes. And I went and saw it. And I was just kind of like, well, this is a movie that my wife probably likes more than I do. And that's not how the racing movies are supposed to go around here. So <laughs> I was just, I guess it just, it, and that's partly on me and it's partly on the promotion. And neither one of those is on the movie itself. So yeah, it's just, it, it wasn't quite what I expected disappointed me a little bit was a little bit of a debbie downer of a movie lots of lots of sad like you said it had to be and that's fine but i just i wasn't wanting the feel bad hit of the summer you know i was wanting something kind of uplifting and cool so i guess you know it's it's one of those movies alan that when we watch it again in the future i think we will like it better just like with the bond movies that bother us sometimes because just like with them once some time has passed and you know what it is, and you kind of forget the things that bother you, and you can take it for what it is, certainly on my case, I think I'll like it more. I think I'll like it more in the future when I've forgotten what it's not. How's that? Right. And I think maybe the fact that I knew the story Mm -hmm. going in 
didn't color my view is like I I I know what the end is going to be. You know? Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I know where it's going. So I, I'm just interested to see how they're actually going to portray that story as opposed to you going into it expecting a particular story that wasn't there. Like, I, didn't, sense? I had no idea the man was going to die. Okay. So that alone, I'm like, oh, well, dang, that was a downer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in retrospect, and people have said this, right? Some people have said as soon as the movie started and you see what they're setting up, you're like, oh, he's going to die. And I'm like, well, I see that now, <laughs> but that's not where my brain was when I sat down in the theater. I, I didn't sit down in the theater and go, okay, let's see this man die. I sat down in the theater going, let's see this man beat Ferrari. And, of course, halfway right. through the movie, I'm like, all right, now I want to see this man beat Ford up with a with that wrench. <laughs> so <laughs> my perceptions of the movie were kind of changing on the fly as it went along, and that's in some ways a credit to the movie. So, yeah, I think I'll like it better in the future than I did the first time or two. But uh, So I'm going to go B- minus to B with a chance to move up in the future. All right, any final right. thoughts okay. as we set this movie to bed? Any final thoughts about Ford v. Ferrari? Uh, no, like you said, I think it's one I'm going to – watch on fairly hefty rotation i think this is four times i've seen it now already oh, wow um so uh, it's a, it's it's an enjoyable one um and is fairly near my stack of racing movies um yeah um so what do you suppose i'm writing down cannonball run for the future <laughs> what do you suppose our next racing movie we might look at in the weeks to come might be what do you think where should we go next uh well, do you want to go back to Formula One and we do Rush? Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we'll do Rush next, and then we'll kind of see where we want to go from here. I do want to see the Steve McQueen one at some point because I've never seen that. Okay. But I do have lots of thoughts about Rush. Thor versus and Baron some, Zemo. And at some point, we have to do Driven. Oh, we do? Is yes. That, is that the, the Rocky one? Is that the Stallone, Stallone one? That's the Stallone one. Stallone uh, and Dicard one, yes. Oh, man. All right. You're making me watch that and Casino Royale. That's not fair. That's cruelty. All right. Well, I... Yeah, I but but we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll do Rush next. So. All right. Well, yeah. Thor versus Baron Zemo. I can't wait. That'll be great. So, all right. Well, that's going to do it for uh, Open Wheel for tonight for our movie review series. And I guess it's a good thing we started doing a movie review series since we don't have any actual... As you said, we don't have any actual racing <laughs> to talk about. So, our Open Wheel uh, vehicles are going to get on out of here for another week. And we'll see you guys down the track. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.